Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, joined, as always, by my partner in crime, Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. Wes, the Packers are back from Chicago with a 5-1 and record by virtue of a 24-14 win over the Bears at Soldier Field. A lot of places we can go with the discussion here about this game, but I want to start with this one-two punch the Packers have in the backfield on offense because 196 yards, I believe it was, against Pittsburgh, yards from scrimmage, 188 at Cincinnati. Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon combined for 169 rushing and receiving yards against the Bears. That's 550 yards in three weeks out of uh, out of those two guys. This... Um, this offense, this offense is uh, is starting to find its you know its extra gear, starting to hit its stride, and it starts with those two running backs right now. There's so many times, Mike, on draft night where you and I will get done, we'll start working on our features. You'll figure out what you're doing, what I'm doing, try to get as much content up on Packers.com as possible. So many times, those stories are based on projection, where you see player A fitting into the Green Bay Packers in the grand scheme of things. I would challenge you, as you were sitting in your office in uh, Green Bay, as I was out in Swamico in mine because we couldn't be anywhere near each other during the 2020 NFL draft. That's right. I think you and I would have both agreed that at some point down the line, this was the picture-perfect pairing the Green Bay Packers were hoping for. Yep. Certainly, Jamal Williams is an exceptional player. He's having a good year this year in Detroit. But when they made the decision to draft A.J. Dillon, it was because they felt like this guy was going to be a good complement not only for Aaron Jones, but also this Packers offense. And, Mike, I don't know any other way to say it other than this is exactly how you pictured it working out for Green Bay. Time after time after time, you're seeing two guys play interchangeably, get series by themselves. A.J. Dillon this year just getting series in the middle of the game by himself. And the thing that stands out to me is that moment's not too big for him. His assignments aren't too big for him. And he's more than just a north and south runner. There's a shiftiness to him, as Aaron Jones talked about after the game. Yep. There's an explosiveness with him when he's in the open field. Those numbers are not by accident. Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon have been two of the better players on the Packers roster right now, and they're getting the production they need out of that tandem. Yeah, well, I rattled off the, the combined rushing and receiving yards from the last three games, but I would say, personally, for my money, what these two running backs did against the Bears was the most impressive, even yeah. though it was it was the the fewest in terms of the yardage total because the Chicago Bears came in defensively, came into this game allowing just 3.9 yards per carry on the ground to the opposition, which ranked, I believe, eighth in the league. Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon averaged 5.6, uh, 24 carries for 135 yards, pounding the ball on the ground. The other thing, too, the Bears' run defense had allowed, <clears throat> the longest run it had allowed all season was a 29-yarder. A.J. Dillon ripped off a 36-yarder. Aaron Jones ripped off a 28-yarder. That's two of the three longest runs the Bears have allowed all season came in this game yeah. against the Packers. You can't ask for better production. And the Packers did it again with more shuffling up front with the offensive line. Elton Jenkins comes back, uh, steps back in at left tackle. 
But on the opening series of the opening offensive series of the ball game, Josh Myers, the rookie center, goes down with a knee injury. Lucas Patrick has to jump back in there after really not getting any reps right. with the number one offense during the week. He had obviously played center the the previous week, but with Myers coming back from the finger injury, he was getting all the reps with the number one offense. So Patrick has to get thrown in there. And then lo and behold, number 62 ends up the highest graded offensive yeah. lineman when the coaches go through the tape and do their usual grades. So once again, this Packers offensive line stepping up to the challenge. And, uh, um, and I just, I, I can't say enough about how much I like what they're doing with these two running backs. Well, and I want to give a little shout out here to Lucas Patrick. And, and a couple reasons for that. One, the Packers are going to need him. Uh, Matt LaFleur mentioned on Monday, it looks like that knee injury that Josh Myers sustained, while it will not be something that sidelines him for the rest of the year, he could miss some games with it. That means Lucas Patrick is right back in the, the middle of the heart of this thing. And Lucas is a really interesting guy. If you ever had a chance to talk to him, you ever have an understanding of where he comes from, not just the undrafted background, but just where he comes from as a human being. The guy is all hard work and appreciation. And he went into camp this year competing for a starting spot at right guard. And when Royce Newman emerged there, then he's suddenly competing for a spot at left guard. He ends up sustaining the concussion. John Runyon has been great in that role. Lucas Patrick goes back to the bench. Fifth-year veteran, a guy that's been around for a number of years now. He didn't sulk. He didn't drop his head low. He, He wasn't complaining. The guy just shifted his focus to, all right, what does this team need me to do? And he had a real salient point, I felt, Mike, back in training camp when he was kind of asked about competing with all these young guys and the fact that he hadn't really carved out a starting role yet. He said, the way I look at it is, if I'm competing with somebody and they beat me, that makes this team better. If I'm, you know, and that's his disposition on everything. But what a luxury it is, Mike, in this sport that you can turn to a four- or five-year veteran to come off your bench and play as well as he did in that game, to be able to be a center, the, the access point, the, the pivotal spot in this Packers offense. And he came through with flying colors, as you mentioned, grading out as a highest-paid player. I think that's a testament to Lucas Patrick. And like we've said all, all season, Mike, the depth of that offensive line. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the latest news is that uh, the Packers could be getting David Bakhtiari back soon. Matt LaFleur saying that the five-time All-Pro left tackle – who has been on the PUP list uh, with the knee injury, had the reconstructive surgery after the ACL injury last December. He is scheduled to return to the practice field, but no timeline as of yet as to when he will be ready to step in and play a game. Matt LaFleur saying there will be a ramp-up period here to get Bakhtiari back in the swing of things so he can get confidence in that knee. You need to practice. You need to play some football. It's not just, okay, go through you know a few reps on a Thursday and Friday and right. get out there on Sunday. That's not what this is when you're coming off of an injury like that. But, again, we'll see, we'll see what happens then when Bakhtiari does come back and, and uh, what the Packers decide to do with the lineup up front. Shifting gears to the defensive side of the ball, I thought the biggest thing that stood out to me in this game for the Packers from a defensive standpoint is – the Chicago Bears deferred when they won the coin toss. Yeah. So they want to have the opportunity for the double up, right? The end of the first half, beginning of the second half. They got exactly what they wanted. They got the opportunity they wanted. The Packers had a 10-7 to lead, and the defense stopped the Bears at the end of the first half. Dean Lowry getting a huge sack that pushed Chicago out of field goal range there, did not score before halftime. 
And then they get a quick, I believe it was just one first down and then three and out after that on the opening possession of the third quarter. So the Bears set themselves up for the double up and they get no points out of it. And then the Packers eventually take a two-score lead and uh, and take control of the football game. I thought that was the key stretch for this defense, where they said uh, they they said, "All right, we've we've got this one." Excellent point. Key stretch because you talk about the double up. If you look at that as like you know back to back on each side of that bookending it, were Packers scoring drives. Right. Now, it was only a 38-yard field goal before that. Packers weren't able to punch that one in, but then they come back with arguably their best drive of the game. Uh, sealing that with the the touchdown pass to Aaron Jones, the the route runner, the pass catcher Aaron Jones has become. Mike, I'll be honest with you, I don't know if we've really seen much like it in terms of where he went from in 2017 as a pretty raw, shifty slasher running back to an all-around playmaker now. But defensively, I just think that gave this whole entire roster a a huge boost. Yep. This game, Mike, so many guys are missing, right? You know, Zadarius Smith and Jair Alexander, they're two all pros from last year. Neither was available for this game. Kevin King has a shoulder injury, and while it doesn't appear like he'll need to go on IR with it, wasn't available in this one. So Isaac Yadam starts. After the first series, they make the switch to Rasul Douglas, who's been here for all of 13 days. Right. He plays competitive football. Darnell Savage has the concussion. Preston Smith leaves with an oblique strain. What do you, when you look at this whole unit, Mike, what's left? What is the one area where the Packers had their full reservoir of players? It was the defensive line. Right. And in this game, whether it was the way that Dean Lowry finished that first half, seven tackles now, sack and a half in the last two games, two pass deflections, Dean playing great ball, and then the way that Kenny Clark finished this game, I felt like, Mike, the defensive line set the tone in this one, and when guys are out, you need your veteran top players who are available to step up, and Kenny Clark definitely did that. Yeah, what Clark did down the stretch in this game, the, the Packers with a 10-point lead, 24-14, the Bears trying to, trying to get that score to make it a one-score game in, you know, in the final four or five minutes, and in a span of three plays, Kenny Clark gets two sacks. I believe they accounted for 23 yes, yards or 25 yards, something yep. like that. I mean, not just we're not just talking about two, three-yard sacks. I mean, he was getting Justin Fields way in the backfield for some significant lost yardage. Clark with uh, Clark with those two sacks, and also too have to point out Jonathan Garvin, um, the second-year outside linebacker, seventh-round draft pick out of Miami a year ago, a, a raw player came in here with a long way to go. He's getting a heck of a lot more snaps now with Zadarius Smith being injured. And as you said, Preston Smith ends up leaving this game. Jonathan Garvin gets his first full sack um, in this game after having a half sack previously. And then also on the opening drive of the third quarter, he chases down Justin Fields on a scramble, doesn't get credit for a sack because Fields was able to cross the line of scrimmage and gain two yards, but it was on a third down play. Just the two-yard gain on the scramble, Garvin makes the tackle, and the Bears have to punt there, which then, as you said, the Packers respond with the touchdown drive to go up by two scores. Those are the kinds of things, and whether you're talking about whether you're talking about Jonathan Garvin, whether you're talking about Henry Black stepping yep. in for Darnell Savage when Savage goes out with an injury, that's the type of impact the Packers are going to have to have to continue to weather this injury storm for however long it's going to take to hopefully get Jair Alexander back. Hopefully you get Zadarius Smith back. We don't know. 
Um, Darnell Savage, you hope he's okay with the concussion, but you never know how long that could keep somebody out. Preston Smith with this oblique. The guy's never missed a game in his career, but he's in he's in danger of possibly yeah. missing a game, even though he obviously wants to play against his former team, Washington, coming up this week. But it's those types of contributions from these guys that the Packers are going to have to continue to rely on as you, you try to navigate through this and get to where hopefully by the stretch run, you know, Thanksgiving on through December, you can sort of get back to yeah. the personnel on the field defensively that you've been hoping to have all year. Interesting juxtaposition with the offense, right? Because offensively you had Lucas Patrick, a guy who's one of the longest tenured players on this roster at this point, subbing in for Josh Myers a week earlier. Randall Cobb, you know, one of their most veteran players jumping in. Defensively, it's been a lot of young guys. And Jonathan Garvin, a seventh-round pick last year, got drafted in the league at 21 years old. Henry Black, an undrafted free agent a year ago, a guy that made a run at a roster spot before starting the year on the practice squad, but very quickly making his way to the 53. I just think you're seeing young talent really emerge. And Garvin is probably the one that's the most satisfying, I think, because he took his lumps. I mean, there were a lot of times last year where he was just a healthy scratch. Yeah. Like he only played in like seven games his rookie season. But he came back, and he got so many reps during camp with Zadarius Smith being out. They were very careful with Rashawn Gary, how much they practiced him during camp. And he, the, the young guy just built off of it. And when you get a sack like that, when you make plays like that, and I, I tweeted this during the, during the game as well, it's one thing to get a sack, right? Everybody looks at the box score afterwards. Oh, Jonathan Garvin had a good game. But it was how disciplined he was on that sack because the thing yep. you and I talked about before the game was you had to stay in your rush lanes. You had to rush to contain. He never lost his leverage. He didn't allow Fields to cut back inside. He stayed in front of him, kept the play in front of him, and it was one of the bigger ones of this ball game. Yeah, classic draft and develop prospect yeah. there. You take a guy in the seventh round, he, he comes out early. A lot of people wondering you know, from the scouting point of view should he have stayed in school another year you know and, and continued to develop his game the Packers draft him in the seventh round and here he is in year two injuries have thrust him into a larger role than he could have expected and uh and he's coming through on the defensive side one more thing before I give a shout out to our sponsors Wes 82 yards huh. Corey Borges are you kidding me 82 yard punt second longest punt in Packers history folks Don Chandler, 90 yards back in 1965. We'll have to try to see, see if we can find the video of that one. But 82 yards and a 62-yard net as that ball uh, scooted into the end zone for a touchback. Dude, so I watched the Don Chandler punt. Go and watch it. If anyone has a chance to bring it up on YouTube. I haven't seen it yet. The parallels between those two punts is like, it's almost like a, 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 you know, a circle <laughs> in time. Like they just kind of come back together. They look the same. And it was the same situation where, I mean, give credit to Chandler in 1955 to boot the ball the way he did and to get behind the defender. Heck of a play, basically just 10 yards back from where Bajorquez has hit his. But Bojo Blast, man, the first day <laughs> that Maurice Drayton came in and talked about this acquisition, he mentioned hang time. I like hang time. I see hang time. He was really excited about that, and you're seeing why. I mean, Bajorquez mentioned a week ago when he was talking to the media, a week or two ago, yeah, he can blast all these balls as far as he basically wants to. But it's about all kicking your coverage. Well, this was one particular instance, punting it as far back as he did, with the snap coming in a little bit low. He just let that thing go, and I think it was Grant was on the return, just kind of missed it, 
the yeah, ball he let, just kept he let it, rolling. He let it go over his head, and then it took the bounce that you're hoping for if you're if you're the Packers. So Grant had no, even though he probably has some room there yeah. if he can get his hands on the ball because of the distance. But uh, but Grant couldn't pick it up and generate any kind of a return, and the ball ended up going all the way into the end zone. You I, take a 62-yard net anytime. Yeah, well, and honestly, Mike, if the Packers would have been backed up another 10 yards, it probably would have been a 92-yard punt <laughs> with a 72 net. That thing wasn't stopping. It no. got the right bounce afterwards. But, you know, let's just talk about the, the reality of this thing is that Bajorquez is giving something the Packers have been longing for in the punt game. It hasn't been perfect. A week earlier, there were a couple little bits of adversity there, but overall, he has really good power. He also has good accuracy, and I think he's given them a big boost. Coverage units got to get better. No question about that, but between Bajorquez and Amari Rogers making strides, I think, you know, as much as I wasn't sure what to expect with Kylan Hill as a kickoff returner, he's been fine, um, and Mason Crosby bounced back. So from the main specialist positions, the Packers are getting what they want. Yeah, there are some things there are some things to shore up in terms of the coverage units on special teams, but we're definitely seeing uh, seeing the progress in a lot of other areas. Um, quickly here, Wes, Sirius XM NFL Radio delivers hard-hitting analysis and up-to-the-minute NFL news that true football fanatics need 24-7. 365. And at Cousin Subs, we have something for everyone, like our Wisconsin cheese curds, mac and cheese, golden fries, and creamy shakes, all paired with your favorite sub or sub in a bowl. Cousin Subs, we believe in better. All right, with this victory, the Packers are 5-1, and 2-0 and in the division, and a two-game lead on the rest of the division after six games, because now both the Bears and the Vikings are 3-3. Three and three. So, that's a heck of a spot to be in considering where this team was after week one, obviously, which they, uh, um, as I said in inbox, they have put that game in the ancient dustbin of history here with a five-game winning streak looking to make it six this week against Washington. But here's the other thing I want to talk about too, though. We're seeing this, uh, this NFC, Wes, Five teams in the NFC, either at 6-0 and or 5-1. and You yeah. have the Arizona Cardinals, who are coming up very soon on the schedule at 6-0. and The Dallas Cowboys, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Los Angeles Rams, and the Green Bay Packers are at 5-1. and Now, I am not going to say after six weeks that the rest of the NFC is fighting for two playoff spots, because that's not reality. Mm-hmm. But this NFC is looking like, looking like it is going to be one heck of a battle for the playoff positioning and how yeah. this all might shake out when we, when we start talking a little bit more seriously about that in December because there are a lot, a full handful of really, really good teams in the NFC right now. Yeah, I don't want to turn this into the whole thing about West doesn't like the one-by system for the playoffs, but I think a season like this really shows why I thought there was a lot of value in you having the two. Yep. Because ultimately, Mike, you are right. Some of these teams are going to rise. Some of these are going to fall from this current hierarchy. But there's going to be probably a team or two here that's going to be challenging 14 wins, 13 wins for sure. Um, and it's going to be unfortunate when one of those guys ends up being a number two seed. That being said, I, I think this early part of the season, you've seen teams really assert their dominance. And, you know, I look at Arizona, and I'm starting to see more parallels between them and, like, the 2011 Packers. Like, that kind of – offensively, they can just play with anybody – and defensively, they're highly opportunistic. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then what do you say? I mean, Tampa Bay is steady as it goes. I mean, you've seen what the Rams have to offer, even though they had that one loss to the to the Cards. I mean, 
it's going to be a really competitive conference. And in addition to the fact that I think you're seeing Dallas kind of run their division, Green Bay has gotten some separation in theirs, that battle to be able to get those wild card spots this year, it's going to be a really competitive sort of fight right to the very end. Well, and you said it too when we talk about uh, these teams that are these teams that are five and one. Tampa Bay's one loss was to the Rams, yes. right? Um, Dallas's loss was that also to the Rams? You you can look that you can yeah. look that one. Let up. me ask. Let me check. Um, but then, as you said, the Rams the Rams one loss. Tampa. Oh, Dallas lost. Look at the, that, yes. Matt Arvin in our ear. Yes, in uh, in week one, obviously the yep. kickoff opener. So yeah. And then, as you mentioned, uh, the Los Angeles Rams won losses to Arizona. So these losses that the teams have are only are only to each other. Yeah. Um, and as we know, the Packers have both Arizona and the Rams on the upcoming schedule, as well as some really tough AFC games coming down the pike. So I, I'm like I say, I'm not trying to say that these five teams are in the playoffs and everybody else in the NFC is fighting for two spots. But we are starting to see a little bit of separation here. That if uh, if some of these other teams that are in that you know three and three, three and two range right now because the bye weeks did begin. Um, if they don't start to make a charge, you know they're they're going to be behind the eight ball here down the stretch. Well, let's make tie this back to the Packers, right? This is why we were saying this was such a critical stretch for them, not just to get on a big winning streak to win five in a row, but being able to take out the uncommon opponents there. You got Pittsburgh and in Cincinnati back to back. Yep. The Cincinnati game kicked off this big road stand. Obviously, they're back for this game against Washington, but a lot of road matchups. You wanted to pick off as many of these wins as possible. You cannot look past the football team. That is going to be a big game on Sunday. Green Bay needs to keep this thing going. But to get to 6-1 and one is the ideal recipe than when you're going on the short week to Arizona against a team that is going to be highly competitive uh, in that game and the rest of the season. You have to pick the games off that you're expected to win. That's going to be the key for Green Bay, and then seeing how that month of November, that month of November, I don't care what who Seattle's quarterback is, that is still going to be a gauntlet for Green Bay, and they have to yeah. be able to build up that momentum before they enter into it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, next up is Washington. We will talk more about the Washington football team on our next show, but for now, we're going to call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. For Wes, I'm Mike. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time. 